This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott. And I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is February 10th, uh, Wednesday, and I'm headed to the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo tomorrow morning. I will be at the expo there in Salt Lake City, Utah, Thursday and Friday, and uh, have a flight out late Friday night. And I want to invite uh, anyone out there that's listening uh, to look me up. Uh, look forward to uh, meeting a bunch of listeners up there and uh, getting to see a great expo, a bunch of great mounts. Um, uh, apply for a few tags. Uh, they, they do uh, hunt drawings and um, it's going to be an exciting time up there. Uh, last week I was in Las Vegas. Uh, Dar and Hunter Haynes and I went over to Las Vegas and um, went to the SCI convention and it was an awesome convention. Um, it's really cool to walk the aisles there and look at all the different animals that are hunted all over the world and uh, just about the time that you get thinking that what you're doing is is very important and uh, you know you're getting focused on on the animals that that we hunt here in the West, you realize that uh, there's a whole nother world out there and there's people uh, looking forward to hunting all the animals that are indigenous to their areas as well. And it's just great to see hunting worldwide and uh, great to get together with a big group of hunters that all have, uh, a common goal and, and uh, common uh, things that they like. So uh, that was awesome. I look forward to the uh, Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. And I've been hearing a lot about this show for many years. And uh, actually, I had uh, reservations uh, at the Opryland uh, Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee to go to the National Wild Turkey Federation um, convention. Uh, which I went to last year, and I really, I'm a turkey nut, so I really enjoy the NWTF convention, uh, but I just uh, canceled those reservations and actually felt compelled to uh, go to this uh, this Western Hunting Expo up in Salt Lake City, so if you're going to be up there, uh, look me up. It should be a good time, and um, I look forward to, to, to that. Guys, I wanted to uh, cover a few questions and a few comments, and I, I literally have hundreds to go through, um, but I'll just cover a few here, and I really appreciate all the feedback that I get from you guys. Uh, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com with any questions or any comments or any type of feedback, and I'll do my best to I, I always try and answer my emails immediately. I try and answer my voicemails, my text messages. So uh, feel free to message me, and I look forward to interacting with uh, you guys, the listeners. It says uh, This is from Ty. He says, Hi, I've seen you posted on your blog, jscottoutdoors.com, uh, that Global Star sat phone in a picture on top of some Swarovskis, would you recommend that sat phone? Uh, Ty, the answer is yes. Uh, I use the Global Star 1700 GSP. Uh, I use it uh, pretty much everywhere I go. Um, I actually am an ambassador for Global Star, and I use uh, the Spot um, device and I also use the Global Star uh, sat phone and one of the things that I like about the Global Star sat phone is you have crystal clear service. I had the same GSP 1700 uh, phone say 10, 10, 11, 12 years ago and while I still had clear service uh, you would lose calls uh, very often 
and Global Star actually came in and spent cl close to a billion dollars uh, renovating and updating all of their satellites. And so I would say the service uh, now compared to 10 years ago is, is actually unbelievable. Uh, I was in Mexico for two weeks uh, hunting coos deer. Uh, my partner and I, Dar Colburn with Colburn and Scott Outfitters, and we were able to call home uh, all the time throughout the day, throughout the night. And, um, uh, you know, I would be on the conversation at sometimes, you know, 10, 15 minutes um, and had really crystal clear service. If you compare that to some of the other uh, sat phones out there, uh, the other phone, Iridium, <clears throat> Iridium has, you know, has some positives and negatives. One of the negatives that I see is when you're actually talking, when you're the person receiving the call from the sat phone or you're on the other end of the line, uh, there's like a slight delay and echo and it almost sounds like the person that's on the sat phone is is like drunk. It's got kind of a weird sound. Um, and that's one reason why I like Global Star much better. It just sounds like you're, you know, right next door or on your cell phone. I mean, it's just a great service. So hope that answers your question. Uh, George, as a fairly new hunter, I'd like to personally thank you. <clears throat> for the services you provide in your podcast. I just got off the phone with the guys from the Outdoorsman's. They gave me some advice that I was wondering about for a long time. And if it wasn't for your podcast, I'd still be wondering. Again, thank you. Keep up the good work, George. Uh, George, thank you for the email. Uh, yes, the guys over at the Outdoorsman's, Cody Nelson and his staff uh, do a phenomenal job of informing hunters and uh, you know, uh, I saw them up at the SCI convention and I'll see them here in the next couple days in Utah at the uh, Western Hunting Expo and uh, stop in and talk to those guys. Uh, they really know their optics. Uh, they know their business well. Uh, interesting uh, story about that is um, I, I, I have a friend who had uh, purchased a pair of binoculars and we were just about ready to go on um our trip down to mexico and um i think it was two days before uh it was several days before he broke his binoculars and uh, he was in a pickle so i know that he called up cody at the outdoorsman's and uh, cody took care of him actually cody uh lent him a pair of his binoculars uh to take down on the trip and you know you can buy binoculars from a lot of places in my mind, but to have that personal touch and that customer service where, you know, something goes wrong, there's really nothing you can do. I mean, the manufacturers, you know, far enough away that there's, there's nothing, you know, there's no way they can send you a pair in time. And, um, and not that Cody's going to do that, uh, every time, but it's just one example of having that personalized, uh, relationship with someone uh, you know, really helps. And um, the Outdoorsman's, I've been uh, going down and, and buying optics from the Outdoorsman's uh, for many years, probably close to 20 years. Um, and uh, having that personal relationship with the guys that you buy your hunting equipment, I think is so important. Thank you, George, for your question. Uh, let's see. Jay, I found your podcast the other day and it seemed impressive. Uh, thanks for what you do. Quick question about calling in elk. What do you use in August and early September before the rut? Do cow calls work? And if so, what kind of cadence do you use? This is from David E. And uh, David, I would say that depending on where you're hunting, if you're, you know, you're in Colorado or well, anywhere across the West, to be honest with you, um, yes, calls can work. Um, I think you're going to have to make uh, herd sounds and kind of build curiosity uh, maybe in those bulls. Um, I don't know that my cadence is any different than say it would be during the rut, but I definitely think a lot more, you know, just kind of bugling and, you know, cows talking back and forth. And so that bull that you're trying to call to, that's probably going to come in silent, um, but actually if you can kind of cause a little bit of a ruckus 
the, that those bulls up on the hill will probably think, well, man, what's going on down there? And um, they'll come down and check it out. Now, cow calls, in my opinion, and soft nasally calls that bulls use also work all, you know, they communicate with each other every single day. So, uh, you know, keep in mind that uh, the elk, while in the rut, you tend to hear them bugling and you tend to hear them, you know, more vocal. We also tend to be in the woods a lot more during the rut. So you just feel like they call more during the rut. I would say, yes, they bugle, but all, you know, the cows and calves are communicating with each other at all times of the year, every single day. Um, hope that answers your question. Okay, let's see. This is from Steve. Hi, Jay. I wanted to say I love the podcast. It really gets me daydreaming when I listen. Ha ha. Lots of very helpful information and has really helped me understanding maximizing my hunting opportunities. You always say to shoot you a message with questions or topics uh, we'd like to see covered in the podcast. I was hoping that at some point you could cover the topic of hunting across the border in Mexico. I really want to understand the feasibility for the average guy to hunt south of the border, guided, unguided, land access, tags, the works. Uh, I know you hunt often in Mexico and would love to hear about the topic from an expert. Another topic I would like to hear about uh, or learn about would be tags and point maximization on a budget. Thanks again for the podcast. Really enjoy it. Keep up the good work, Steve. Steve, to answer your question, um, actually episode 98, uh, travel tips for coos deer hunting in Mexico, uh, actually was uh, an episode that I did back on December 18th. Uh, you might check that out. And also uh, episode 102, when I talked with my partner, Dar Colburn, about preparation for Mexico coos deer hunt, both of those episodes ought to help you. Uh, on that first question and uh, absolutely uh, I think we should uh, answer your uh, request about uh, tags and point maximization on a budget I think that would be a good topic guys I love these kind of comments um, like the one from Steve uh, he's he's asking for specific things and uh, that helps me kind of hone in and focus on what you guys want to hear so thanks Steve for that question uh, let's see. Jay, thanks for providing so much information for free. I felt that my hunting game has improved dramas dr dramatically from listening to your podcast. I feel I still have a lot to improve on, so I was hoping with shed season fast approaching that you could speak with an avid shed hunter and get us some tips and tactics and things to look for. Again, thanks for all you do. Um, Blake, that's a great uh, recommendation and I'll try and uh, get someone on here to talk about shed hunting for sure. Jay, first off, I'd like to say thanks for the podcast. I love it. Appreciate all the great info you pass along to us listeners. Keep up the great work. Just curious if the discount code still works for the outdoorsmans. I couldn't recall what episode I heard that on and what the code was. I thought this would be the easiest way to find out. I'm looking to add another tripod to the collection. Thanks, AJ. AJ, yes, uh, the code still does work. Um, all you have to do is call the Outdoorsman's at 1-800-291-8065. Use the J. Scott promo code and uh, you will receive that 10% discount. Hey, Jay, I heard in your podcast that you went to Grand Canyon University. When were you there? I was there from 96 to 2000. Thank you so much for the podcast. I love it and value it. Yes, to answer your question, I was at Grand Canyon University. I graduated from high school uh, here in Phoenix uh, in 1991. Uh, I had a short stint at Abilene Christian University in Texas for one semester and uh, missed the Arizona sun about November. The wind was blowing sideways and sleet and snow. And at the time, I was a golfer and really into golf. And um, it, it just wasn't a good fit for me. So I came back to Arizona and I enrolled at Grand Canyon University and uh, played on and off uh, for three years of golf on the Grand Canyon University golf team. Uh, was usually a struggling fifth 
fifth uh, team member on the team. Uh, they only traveled five guys, and I made a few tournaments, uh, but was somewhat a mediocre college golfer, um, but really enjoyed uh, my time at Grand Canyon University. Uh, I actually ended up, I think I had 18 hours left after my golf eligibility was over with, and um, I actually finished my degree at Arizona State University and, and graduated. Uh, I want to say I graduated the December of 1995, um, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed my time at Grand Canyon University. It was a very small school when I went there. Now they've got uh, a, a huge, you know, they've expanded the campus and uh, have a bunch of new buildings. They have a new uh, gymnasium, new coliseum. Uh, none of that was there. Um, and uh, we go there for some Christian music concerts from time to time. And it's great to see uh, Grand Canyon doing so well. Thanks for the question. Hey, Jay, thanks for the podcast. I was wondering if you could have John McClendon on the podcast. I think a lot of people would like to hear from him, Stephen. Stephen, yes, uh, John McClendon and I have uh, talked about him being on the podcast, and he is more than willing to come on the podcast. I've twisted his arm a little bit. He's a, a soft-spoken, humble guy and someone that I've looked up to for a long time. Uh, but he has agreed to come on. We just uh, have not got our schedules together. Um, I want to uh, talk with him about uh, some of the giant bulls and some of the different animals that uh, he has harvested with clients or personally. And uh, he's definitely on the list to have here on the podcast. So hopefully in the next couple months, we can make that happen. Guys, thank you so much for your questions. Um, I'll continue to try and answer some of these questions uh, on the podcast. And I think you guys will get a kick out of some of these. These are just a few of, of uh, hundreds of questions that I get. And uh, I try and respond to every single question uh, immediately. So feel free to email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I wanted to remind you about the Go Hunt Insider giveaway for the month of February. Uh, six insiders will win outdoorsmen's tripods and tripod heads with a total value of over $5,000. All you have to do is be an insider member to, uh, to be entered into the drawing. Uh, drawings will take place at the end of each month. Uh, winners will be contacted by email and have three days to claim their prize. Uh, previous giveaways, uh, January, there were 40 insider members that won a hundred dollar gift certificate to double tap ammunition with a value of, of four, $4,000, uh, December five insider members, uh, won a pair of Zeiss conquest binoculars with a total value of $5,000. November, there were 10 insiders. They each won a Kuyu pack system with a value of $4,500 October. Uh, two insiders won a fully guided coos deer hunt with a retail value of $13,000. Uh, that was actually with Dar Colburn and myself at Colburn and Scott Outfitters in Sonora, Mexico. Uh, and I am happy to report that both of the Go Hunt Insider members uh, shot very nice coos deer. Both of them scored 103 inches. Uh, both hunters, uh, one was from Pennsylvania and one was from Denver, Colorado, both first time coos deer hunters. And it was great to uh, spend time with them out there uh, hunting coos deer and um, they had a great time. Uh, guys, there's a list here. Uh, September, Sunto, uh, 15 insider members won Sunto watches. Uh, 10 insider in August won uh, Kuyu sleeping bags. In July, they gave away four, four uh, landowner tags in four weeks, uh, elk, mule deer, and antelope. Um, and then, of course, the big uh, doll sheep hunt giveaway in June. So, guys, um, if you're not already a Go Hunt Insider member, uh, you should be. Uh, they give away great gear and great hunts every single month, not to mention their um, the, the Insider, the filtering 2.0 system and the draw odds and all the strategy articles are, are phenomenal on the Go Hunt. It's a phenomenal resource. They actually just today released their application strategies for Utah sheep, moose, goat, and bison. Uh, two days ago, they released the application strategy for the Utah elk and antelope. 
Uh, and before that, uh, just a few days ago, the Arizona elk and antelope draw was was uh, was due, and um, the application strategy was spot on. Uh, on the Go Hunt Insider, uh, the draw odds portion of the filtering 2.0 is is fantastic, and I've been really pouring over it uh, on the Utah uh, applications that are coming up, and it coincides perfectly with. Uh, the last two episodes with Adam Bronson talking about Utah um, big game. And then today's episode with Trail Kreitzer um, is um, uh, the Go Hunt Insider uh, just falls right in place with, with these two episodes as well. I'm going to have a two-part series here with Trail talking specifically about Utah elk and going through each unit and talking about what kind of bulls to expect uh, for each unit, we talk about point levels and what have you. So it's going to be a, a great two-part series. And uh, guys, I just want to really thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for all your support. Uh, you can follow along our adventures at J. Scott Outdoors on Instagram, uh, on our website, jscottoutdoors.com. We have a YouTube channel, J. Scott Outdoors, uh, and of course on Facebook. And uh, Dar and I uh, really appreciate your support. And uh, let's get right to the episode with Trail Kreitzer. Now, remember the Utah uh, big game applications are um, due uh, March the 3rd. And I believe March 17th is the deadline for just putting in for uh, preference points. So let's get right to this episode. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order in February 2016. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at Utah Hydrographics. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got a special guest, Trail Kreitzer. There you go. And Trail Kreitzer is uh, from Utah, and I'm excited to talk to Trail today about uh, all things Utah and a little bit about his Arizona elk hunt. Trail, how you doing? Doing good. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Trail, why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a background on yourself uh, and uh, what led you to the point where you're at now? So I'm I'm from southern Utah. Uh, I live here in, in Cedar City. Uh, currently, I'm a, a habitat biologist. I work for the Division of Wildlife. So I grew up actually in the area. I grew up in a little teeny tiny town called Anamone, uh, which is just over the mountain, um, maybe an hour or so. Uh, my dad was a, a park ranger at Otter Creek State Park, um, so I got to grow up right across from the street from the reservoir. You know, we, we had TV, but <laughs> didn't really have any any channels or anything, so I basically grew up uh, in the outdoors. My closest neighbor lived a mile down the road, so it was pretty pretty rural, sheltered um, upbringing, but a good, good upbringing. I grew up, I had the privilege of growing up right in the heart of some of the best uh, mule deer and elk country in Utah. Um, Right out my front door, I had uh, the boulder to the east. I had Mount Dutton uh, just behind me to the west, and then the south end of Monroe, uh, just right there. So I had the opportunity to to hike and hunt all over those units, and uh, I guess that's how I got hooked. Um, my dad was an avid hunter. He moved out here from Indiana when he was in his 20s. He and my mom, and he moved out here primarily for you know hunting and fishing opportunities. So it's in my blood, and uh, 
I, that's that's how I came to be here. Um, I appreciate you having me on today. But yeah, that's basically, awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, we're going to have some fun today. Uh, first, I'd like to ask you about uh, the habitat uh, in Utah and some of the habitat restoration work that uh, that goes on there in southern Utah. What have you been involved with and, you know, kind of what is what is on the uh, charts there in southern Utah for habitat restoration? Yeah. Um, so I, I work for the Division of Wildlife. I'm a habitat biologist, and, and my job is to work with my federal counterparts since they own the bulk of the land here in southern Utah. We have a lot of public lands, uh, both BLM and, and Forest Service. We have quite a bit of state lands, too. So uh, my, my job is to work with those guys to develop uh, habitat restoration projects. And Utah, we're unique in that we have um, a partnership that we developed around 10 years ago. Um, and we call that the Utah Watershed Restoration Initiative. And uh, what we do is it's a partnership between those those different agencies. And what it allows us to do is to pool our money and our resources and do larger landscape scale projects. So um, we do everything from large um, mastication, um, mostly pinion juniper work in, in mule deer winter range. And uh, we do fire rehab. Uh, we do large-scale chaining. Um, if you see the hand crews out there, guys with those uh, chainsaws that are out cutting pinion and juniper, those types of trees. So we do those kind of those kind of projects. You know, we've done probably close. I think the the figure is a million acres uh, in Utah in the last ten years. Out of our region, uh, just this last year, we'll have done close to thirty thousand acres. And a lot of that is in uh, mule deer winter range. Um, a lot of it is stuff on the Ponsagon. We've done a bunch of, of bull hog uh, mastication work over there to improve range conditions. Um, we've done a lot of work on the Zion unit. We've done a lot of work on the beaver unit. Just about every unit here in southern Utah, we've been been involved with doing some large landscape scale projects. And it's taken, you know, probably five or ten years to really start to see the, the benefits of those. But I think just looking at our mule deer herds, it seems like they're, they're starting to bounce back. Our elk herds are almost all these units in southern Utah are at or above object, objective. And it just seems to be that we're finally we're seeing some some fruits of our labor. So, yeah, that's my background. That's that's what I do for my day job. <laughs> awesome. Um, I've got a question for the listeners that aren't very familiar on the benefits of, of that work that you're talking about doing. Uh, specifically, how does it benefit mule deer okay. uh, specifically and then maybe into the elk? Yeah, so, I mean, for mule deer, if you look back at the history of mule deer, um, you know, we had a, a boom, especially here in, in Utah and really across the western United States uh, in the 50s and 60s. And if you look back at the history and what was going on prior to those those booms, um, you would look at the fire history and see that we had really um, massive amounts of fire um, back in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, we were burning, you know, millions of acres, and then we went down to basically just, you know, burning a couple million or even hundreds of thousands. And mule deer are, you know, they're an early successional species. They, they do really well on that first growth. Um, and then as that shrub develops, um, you get kind of a, an uneven age class stand of shrubs of some of the old and some of the new, and, and that's where mule deer seem to do really well on. Um, and that's what we're trying to, to mimic. Um, you know, burning anymore is really tough to pull off on, on large landscapes. Um, it's also, you know, back then we, we probably weren't dealing with the invasive species like cheatgrass that we are now. And, uh, you know, burning, it's, it's tough to pull off. So what we're trying to do is mimic those changes that maybe fire, um, you know, did back in, in the early, you know, 20s and 30s and 40s. And so what we're doing is we're going in. A lot of our work, like I said, is in, in mule deer winter range. And a lot of our winter ranges across the West have been taken over um, by pinion and juniper. And what that does is those trees come in, they, they outcompete the, the grasses and the forbs and the browse species like sagebrush and bitterbrush. Um, and they basically overtake those landscapes and they, they force those, those good desirable species out and they become predominantly just pinion and juniper, which, you know, it's good for cover, but as far as a food source and forage, it really offers uh, real minimal um, benefits for mule deer. So, what we're trying to do is, is eliminate those um, trees. What we try to do is design projects 
um, that are a, a mosaic of, of treatment areas. So we want to leave enough cover for the mule deer, um, but we also want to cut pieces out of that, knock holes in that country to allow for seeded species. And usually when we do a project, uh, almost always, um, we'll go through and we'll, we'll seed those projects first. And then uh, we'll actually do the treatment. So if it's a, a bull hog, like a mastication treatment, where we're going to go through and we're going to shred those trees, we'll seed first. And then after we shred those, that mulch layer creates a, um, you know, a layer of duff, which allows that seed to retain moisture in the soil and allows them to grow and, and do well. And it also kind of blocks out those invasive species that you don't want. Um, so that's what we're doing for mule deer. Um, Chaining, the same kind of thing. You know, that was real popular uh, back in the late, uh, what, 70s and 80s. Um, they did a lot of chaining. They didn't do a lot of reseeding with it. But now we're, we're focusing on our efforts on, on doing reseeding, trying to reestablish uh, good forbs, good brows uh, for mule deer. So, I mean, that's... And trail, yeah. uh, where do you guys get the money? Where do the funds come from primarily to do all of this work? Okay. So, like I said, it's a partnership program we have with our federal uh, agencies. So a lot of money uh, comes from BLM or Forest Service Fuels. Uh, it also comes through our Habitat Council, which is the Utah Division of Wildlife portion of those projects. Um, every permit that's sold in the state of Utah, a portion of that goes back into Habitat, and it's allocated through um, our group internally, which is called the Habitat Council. And then a lot of the money comes from um, sportsmen's groups, you know, Sportsmen for Fish and Wildlife, Mule Deer Foundation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, um, FNAWS. Um, so those kind of groups, um, you know, put money back into those projects too. So all those sources pooled into one larger um, pool were able to do, you know, bigger projects that, that affect larger acres. So Awesome. And um, with all of the habitat work that's being done, uh, one animal that we haven't talked about is how does it uh, impact the turkeys and what have you seen uh, as far as the turkeys? How are they doing uh, lately uh, with all of this work that you guys have been doing? Turkeys? Yeah, they they seem to be doing pretty good. Um, we do a lot of riparian areas, a lot of river corridors. We do treatments through there to eliminate, again, eliminate pinion and juniper, which you know, they can suck up a lot of water. So in turn, what we do is we'll go back through and we'll plant cottonwoods and other, you know, willows and things like that. So it helps them there. It also, um, we've done a lot of work in transplanting turkeys into areas. Um, we've done, you know, that, that regrowth of vegetation from, from these treatments is good for turkeys, provides seeds. It provides, um, you know, areas for, for invertebrates, bugs and stuff for turkeys. So it's, it's done well. It's done good. Pop, awesome. populate, turkey populations are doing really well in Utah. I just I heard this morning from one of the other biologists here that they've actually um, just trapped 130 some from a residential area down here south of town and moved them out back into to the habitat where people can can hunt them and enjoy them. So, but yeah, populations cool. are doing good. How long will it take those birds to figure out they've been relocated and wander back to town, I wonder? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm hoping they're moving them out into areas that they can call home, you know, feel, feel happy. But, yeah, turkeys are doing well in Utah for sure. For sure. I wanted to talk to you kind of in length today about uh, Utah and the application period is now open. And uh, I want to say the deadline is coming up, what is it, here in March? Yeah, March 3rd. March 3rd. And so uh, we've got quite a bit, a lot to talk about in regards to the different big game animals in Utah. Um, before we get to that, I wanted to ask you, you had just recently drawn a Arizona uh, archery elk permit uh, in uh, central Arizona unit. And I was curious uh, what your thoughts were coming over to Arizona and uh, how the hunt went, and a little bit of about about your experience there. Yeah, I uh, I drew an archery permit. It was a late season archery permit, so that, that November season. Um, <laughs> and, and talking to people, I guess a lot of people are intimidated, you know, by that hunt, but just because it's primarily a, a spot in stock, or a, maybe intimidated is not the word, but maybe just you know not looking forward to it like you would a typical archery rut hunt um, for elk, but. Um, for me, uh, you know, hunting hunting elk in Utah, our season starts in August and it, and it generally ends, you know, mid-September. So you may catch a little bit of rut action 
Um, but, but primarily you're hunting elk that are, that are on summer range, um, you know, moving into kind of a transition of rut. But a lot of the hunting that I've done, uh, in Utah is spotting stock. It's ambush. It's, you know, sitting wallows and water holes. So, uh, when I looked at Arizona and I saw that you guys had some late season, uh, archery hunt, hunt opportunities and that the odds were pretty good. I thought, you know, that might be right up my alley. So <laughs> I, uh, I looked at trophy potential. Um, you know, I saw there's some units down there in Arizona that have really good trophy potential, but also off for of that late season archery hunt where the odds are, are really good. And, and so I, I applied and, um, I don't know, people would probably be upset. I had no points, which this, this unit that I drew, it's not, um, you know, tough to draw, but I had no points going into that, that draw. And, um, I drew the permit, which is, it was good for me because, um, I had, kind of a rough year as far as the draw goes I, I thought for sure i'd draw my my usual deer tag here in utah and i hadn't and uh, i'd expected to potentially draw a mountain goat tag here in utah and i hadn't drawn it and so this uh late season archery hunt in arizona was kind of my last hope but was, i think you emailed me after the draw and i, I you and i haven't actually met and i said you drew what tag yeah, yeah. and you told me and i was like why did you do that to yourself? And <laughs> yeah. of course you probably laughed. That guy's a jerk. I'll never talk to him again. And off you went and you shot a great bull. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I remember I talked to you one night, you were headed out to dinner with your wife. So I don't think you had much time to visit, but you offered, <laughs> you offered some information to me. And uh, I did. I think I, think I might've said I wouldn't have worst, wished that hunt on my worst enemy, I think was my exact words, I'm, but, uh, Maybe not quite that yeah. harsh. If you get to know me, I'm a little bit of a, a sucker for punishment for that kind of stuff. I, I, I just I like that kind of challenge. Um, you know, I had a late season cow tag here in Utah probably two three weeks ago, and I actually ended up snowshoeing in and shooting a cow. So, I awesome. not too many people do that for a cow elk, but I I don't know. I I like that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, when I talked to you and you said, hey, you know, why would you do that? I, I don't know. I guess it fired me up even that much more to, to kind of see what I could do. But You said, I'll show him. He doesn't yeah, know what he's talking about. I'll prove to him that I can do it. Uh, and, yeah, I remember the I remember um, that uh, distinctly. So I apologize for that. Oh, but um, I, I'm, gl I'm glad you were able to capitalize. Um, let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors, and then I want to ask you about the hunt. At GoHunt.com, we are committed to being the best at what we do, and we take pride in putting ourselves in the customer's boots. The old way wasn't working, so we came up with a new way to give you access to the best draw odds you'll find anywhere. Our dedicated team of data scientists and hunters have gathered information from all over the western United States to provide you with the most accurate odds ever. Select a state, the species you're looking to hunt, the season you're looking to hunt, and even compare the probability of drawing to other units. You'll be given the most reliable draw odds in the industry, period. So don't let your boots get stuck in the mud. There's a new way of doing things. Visit GoHunt.com insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code until February 28th to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. Okay, so you draw this tag. You really don't know what to expect. Uh, you know, were you able to come down and do a bunch of scouting or tell, kind of tell me how you prepared for it and how you executed your plan? I, I didn't have any time to scout. I just, I was so busy through the summer and I, I thought I would get some time prior to the hunt, but I, I just didn't get time to get down there. So what I did is I made a ton of phone calls. Like I said, I called you. Um, I, I cruised any kind of hunting forum that I could find online, um, just do running searches for the unit. And, and I ended up talking to a guy, I think he was from Payson and um, he'd been in the unit quite a bit and, he ended up giving me some ideas. One of the things that I do typically when I go into a, an area, you know, basically blind is, is start to do research on the, um, 
you know, I use the Gohan Insider thing, of course. But what I, I start to research burn areas, which I've just had such good luck hunting burn areas. And I knew, especially for that hunt, it would be key um, just because it would be open enough that I could I could spot and stock. And, uh, you know, I knew that the, the elk, especially late season, those bulls would probably pull off into some of those burns to get feed. And so that's why I started my research was just looking into burn scars. And I did that by... Um, scouting google earth i did it by looking at different fire websites um i talked to the forest service probably giving away too much information here but um anyway yeah i uh i talked to a bunch of people as many people as i could as many natural resource managers and and those type of people as i could and um i just kind of went at it blind i had an area circled on google earth after all the research that i had done um that i thought would be productive and i just started there so my my dad was nice enough. I hadn't had a chance to hunt with my dad much. Um, I bow hunted with him uh, on the beaver back in 2002. And uh, my dad was nice enough to come down with me and just kind of, you know, be my camp mate and, and take care of camp and kind of hang out with me. And uh, we came down and, yeah, we had a good hunt. Um, That's awesome. What was the weather like for the hunt? Um, and when you... When you had your kind of preconceived ideas, searching through Google Earth and talking to all your contacts, um, when you actually stepped foot in the unit and drove in, I mean, were there things that were, you know, strikingly odd and, you know, out of place or did you feel like you could kind of hit the ground running? Yeah. So I, I was a little bit surprised. I, everybody I talked to said, yeah, it's really thick. I mean, it's, there's a lot of vegetation. It's tall. Um, there's a lot of undergrowth. Um, there's a lot of ponderosa pine. It, it's thick. It's hard to, to see. Um, certainly be hard to get an arrow through at an animal. And, and I'd heard that. And, you know, I've heard people say that about different units here in Utah. And, and I have to admit when I was, when I got down there, I was awfully surprised at how, how thick it was and, and how, how much vegetation and just how hard it was is going to be to potentially get an arrow into a bull. Um, I was surprised by that. Um, the other thing that uh, kind of surprised me was, um, you know, we got down there and the weather was pretty good for the first couple of days. Um, as far as the area that I identified, um, I did get down, I got down there one day early um, and I got there in time to, to get out that morning in glass and I drove to an overlook that I'd found on Google, Google earth that I thought would be good. And within the first probably 30 seconds of throwing my binoculars up, I had seven bulls. And so, you know, that was great. It was good to know that I was in an area that there were some elk and that I'd found elk and three of those bulls were actually pretty good. So, so that was good. I was able to hit the ground running. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was surprised a little bit at how much pressure there was. There's a lot of tags. Um, I found that, that, you know, on the weekends, there was a lot of pressure and during the weeks, not so much. Um, the weather surprised me a little bit. Um, the third day, it started to rain and it rained hard. And the, the worst it got, I just thought, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, get wet and, and be able to hunt for the rest of the week. And so we actually did stay one night in a hotel and uh, the rain turned to snow that night. And, um, I made it back. We went back into the unit just because I thought, Hey, I'm okay to hunt with snow and I'm okay with cold weather camping as long as I'm just not all wet, you know, but it did get cold. It got down into the teens. I think at one point it was, you know, like 13 degrees and, and we probably had, oh, I don't know, three or four inches of snow. So I was surprised that, uh, Arizona could, could throw that kind of weather at me, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> at least in central Arizona. And then, so I got one question to bounce back. You said you had prepared on Google Earth. Yeah. And I'm kind of a Google Earth junkie as well. Um, I mean, do you go as far as, you know, labeling stuff on, you know, glassing points on Google Earth? Kind of walk me through your Google Earth prep. Um, and I'm curious to see if it's anything like, like what I do and see if we have any similarities there. Yeah, so I, I'm probably the same. I uh, I go through and I drop um hands you know gps points on you know any any area that i think is glassable um i looked at you know for that hunt i was looking at uh you know like i said any kind of burn or any kind of deep 
nasty pocket that I thought a, a big late season bowl could hole up in. Um, I was looking for glassing points that, that I could look into those areas. So yeah, I'm dropping pins on those. Um, any kind of water hole, you know, I'd heard that that hunt can be real good if it's dry, um, that you can sit water and do well. So any kind of water hole, especially off in those wilderness areas, um, I was labeling those and then, you know, moving those over to my GPS unit. So um, I use that tilt pan feature um, on Google Earth. I'm always, you know, looking at areas from different different sides, trying to see, you know, which would be better to glass in the morning based on where the sun comes up or which would be better in the evening. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably using it real similar to you are. I think it's a Google Earth's a pretty amazing tool. I mean, for scouting an area. It's like I said, I'd, I'd scouted, I'd, I'd, re- I'd come up with one area that I thought was my, my best chance, the area that I thought that was most likely to hold bulls and and, you know, when I got there, you know, I found, what, seven bulls within the first 20 minutes or something. So it worked out really well. Um, I, I use Google Earth a lot, and it sounds like we have, you know, s- you know similar styles. One thing is um, that you said there that perked my interest is uh, I do not transfer my Google Earth uh, waypoints from Google Earth to my GPS mm-hmm. or or to... Uh, you know, I use the Trimble Outdoors app and I also have the Onyx. I'm curious, um, is it easy to transfer Google Earth waypoints right onto your GPS or onto your Onyx or what, what, what do you use? Yeah, it's fairly easy. Um, I use a program called DNR Garmin, which was developed by at least the one I use is out of, uh, Minnesota, the Department of Natural Resources up there. They have a program that you can download to your computer. And you basically just hook your GPS to your computer. Um, you open this DNR Garmin program. It will recognize your GPS. And then you can you can drag and drop those waypoints into there, and it'll transfer. You can upload them to your GPS. So it's fairly easy. Um, does it, um, if you name them certain, does it, do the names transfer yeah. over? Because it seems like when I've done it before, the, the, the waypoints transfer over, but like not what I actually named them. Yeah. Um, usually when in that program, that DNR Garmin program, you have a window there where you can, you can add a name into it before it loads and, and you can do it that way. Um, and that's, that's how I've done it. I do a lot of, when I do habitat restoration projects, when I, when I design those projects, I end up doing a lot of those in Google Earth so that you can, you know, use that tilt pan feature and kind of, uh, work the, the topography basically. And I end up taking a lot of those shape files that I create in Google Earth and then, you know, importing them into um, ArcMap, which is the program we use for for those kinds of projects. So I gotcha. Yeah, it works pretty good. Um, I, I, I use the Onyx uh, hunt maps, also the chip and my GPS, and, and that had a, a lot of water holes, um, you know, a lot of points of interest on it too. But I just, where I can see it on Google Earth and then transfer it over uh, into my GPS, I just, I know it's there. I feel good about it. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm kind of the same way. So I, I've already learned something here from this episode and I need to dive in and, and really figure out um, how to transfer it over to my phone, uh, either on Trimble Outdoors or on Onyx Maps and uh, transfer it over to my GPS. So that's all great stuff. So you're off and running with seven bulls and then uh, kind of walk me through and then we'll get to the yeah. Utah stuff. Walk me through... Um, you know, how long it took you to get your bull and, and what have you. Okay. So I, I, I glassed up those bulls the first morning. Uh, one of them was a bull that I really wanted to get a better look at. And so that afternoon, this was the day before the opener, um, I threw everything in my backpack and I, I piled off um, into this big canyon. And uh, I spent the night down in there. And uh, the next morning I got up and my dad was, you know, glassing from me back from the main point where we'd, we'd seen these bulls the morning that, that morning before. And, uh, you know, I got up and I saw some elk, but I didn't see the same bulls. And, um, I ended up actually looking back up underneath the ramp and I saw three bulls together and I got the scope on one of them. And the one was, I mean, it was a legit, you know, three, three seventy kind of bull. So <laughs> I was really excited opening morning. I saw this bull, uh, he was in a real stockable spot. Um, I watched him for probably an hour and a half, ended up watching him walk down uh, into some pinion juniper, and I actually saw him bed, so I was really excited about it, and I, I thought, you know, I've got 10 days to hunt this bull, this is a, you know, this is a dead bull, um, so anyways, I, pl- I planned a stalk on him, I, uh, I, I got on the stalk, he's probably a mile and a half away, I got up to where 
I thought I needed to be to begin to make a loop on him. I could still see him batted and, and from, you know, a little bit of elevation looking down on him. I looked down and I could see uh, two guys working out ahead of me. And, <laughs> you know, as luck would have it, those guys were probably, you know, 10 minutes out ahead of me working the same stock that I was. And uh, I thought, well, you know, they're, they're out ahead of me. Um, I'll just let them go. So I climbed up on a ridge where I thought this bull might um, use for an escape route. And uh, I actually got to watch this guy sneak in and shoot this bull. So, wow! I was a little a little gutted the first day, you know, to have that bull. You know, it went from extreme high to extreme low to, to thinking, hey, here's a great bull that I can hunt for the rest of my hunt. To you know, watching this guy harvest it, but it was neat. I mean, I got to watch these two guys. I was watching him through my spotting scope, and I got to watch him, you know, actually kill this bull. And I got to watch that, you know, that moment when he walked down to a bull, and he was a great bull. You know, just to see, you know, to see somebody else, you know, live their, their dreams. It was pretty cool. But at the same time, I was a little gutted, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I threw everything in my backpack and I headed back to the, the top of the ridge and, um, you know, talked to my dad and kind of regroup. And um, we ended up hunting that area for a couple more days. And then just, you know, we were seeing some bulls. I wasn't seeing anything that was you know, they really wanted to hang a tag on that early in the hunt. Um, I had the whole hunt off of work. And so I was planning to hunt right up till Thanksgiving day. So, um, we, I actually ended up moving, uh, after that little snowstorm and the, the rain, we actually ended up moving, uh, farther to the West in the unit. And I hunted another area. And, and after looking at that area, I saw, I thought I saw a lot of bulls. Um, one morning I ended up seeing over, I think I saw 22 or 23 bulls. So, it was over over 20, and I remember there were some good bulls in it, but looking at that country and just how thick it was, I just thought, you know, my, my odds of being able to get an arrow uh, in one of those bulls is pretty slim. And <laughs> at that point, I was probably hearing you in my ear saying, hey, what are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> you can't kill a bull in that stuff with a bow and arrow. It's too too thick, but um, I... I, I spent some time there and I talked to my dad and I just thought, you know, this isn't going to, I can't kill a bull there. So we ended up actually going back to the, the first area that I'd scouted and hunted. Um, and I think I hunted, um, let's see, I think I killed that bull on a, on a Saturday night, a Saturday evening actually. But what happened is I, I glassed up a bull um, in the morning and he was down in a, in a canyon and I, threw everything in my backpack and I headed off down in there and I waited for him to come out and he didn't come out that evening and um, I spent the night down in there and um, during the night uh, the wind kicked up and it started blowing and I was actually just bivvied out in a, a patch of standing dead ponderosa and about 10 30 at night the wind kicked up and I could hear all these ponderosa around me, you know, creaking and, and I could hear them moving in the wind and I got a little bit nervous and I actually had a, I actually had a big tree, um, come down within about 50 yards of me in the middle of the night. And I thought, you know, this isn't no good. So I threw everything in my pack and I packed out in the middle of the night to the top of the ridge and the wind blew all night long, um, and the next morning I'd set my alarm to get up and I just about didn't get out of bed. I thought this is pointless, you know, all this wind, there's not going to be anything up moving. Um, but I thought, you know, I'm here, so I might as well. So I did get up and I walked off to the edge, uh, just to look down in the bottom of the Canyon. Cause I figured if there was any, anything up moving or if I was going to see any elk, uh, it would be down in the one, you know, one of these canyons deep in the bottom where they'd be out of the wind. So whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Have you guys heard about Phonescope? 
PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at PhoneScope. I climbed out to the end of this ridge, and I looked down into the bottom, and just like like the first day, within the first minute and a half, um, I saw this bull laying in the bottom of the canyon, and I had a real strong wind, you know, probably 20, 30 miles an hour blowing um, straight from him to me, and he was probably only, you know, half a mile, and I just thought, you know, here's my chance. I've got, I couldn't even hear my own footsteps. The wind was blowing so hard, and, you know, it's blowing right at me, so... I piled off into this canyon and went up the bottom of the wash and ended up working my way up uh, on his same level. I had the wind perfect. Um, I worked in on him. He got up and he was feeding and he's feeding away from me and I got in tight to 21 yards. And just like you were saying, you know, that vegetation is so thick, I didn't have a clear lane to shoot. And the wind got a little bit swirly and I saw him pick his nose up and he kind of started to turn. And he turned and he took, you know, he ran probably three or four steps back to my left. And when he started to run, I came to full draw. And as soon as he broke out into a little clearing, I just cow called to stop him. And I had to guess the yardage and I knew he was pretty close. I guess they think I shot him for 35 yards. And um, I hit him perfect, hit him really well right behind the shoulder. And I watched him, you know, go down into the bottom of the canyon he started up the other side and he was starting up the other side. I could see he was, you know, pumping blood and I could see the arrow. I could see probably 10 inches of the arrow sticking out. So I knew I had decent penetration. Um, you know, not certainly not as good as you'd hope. Um, but uh, I watched him go up and, you know, I kept kept thinking he's going to go down. He's going to go down. He's going to go down. And, and, you know, it was like three, four minutes went by. And then he what he ended up doing is actually turn around. He backed himself into this big manzanita. And, um, you know, I debated on whether to tell you this story, how it actually happened, but <laughs> I, th- I think it's, I think it's important because, you know, things don't always happen exactly like you think they do, you know, or, or like you'd like them to. Right. Right. Um, so what happened is, uh, with that first arrow, I ended up getting one lung and one liver and, and part of the liver. And I don't know if you hear, you, I know you've guided a lot, Jay, um, you've hunted a lot yourself, but you hear, you hear people say, Oh, I got one lung, you know, how long can they yeah. go? Well, they can go a long time. Yeah. I say yuck. When you hit one lung, right. it's, it's a bad deal. Right. Um, so I watched that bull for four hours. I didn't want to want to bump him. Um, so I watched him and he eventually did come out and he laid down, um, just just below. Well, the good news is you could have you had your eyes on him, right? That, that's it. Yeah, and I didn't want to bump him. Um, yeah, I could see him the whole time, and you know, I knew at that point that I was probably going to have to get another arrow in him. Um, but I just didn't want to push him. You know, I didn't want to risk losing him, so I just waited him out. And he he did come out and he laid down. And as luck would have it, he he bedded down facing you know dead away from me and. He was, you know, he was only 169 yards from me. He was just right across the canyon, but I was able to to sneak in and then and then put another arrow in him and finish him off. But it ended up I being just, an all-day event. <laughs> he, uh, after I shot him, he turned and he wheeled and went down into the canyon and then and then died. But, um, you know, it was I experienced it all. You know, highs and lows. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that people can take away from that trail is. I've been in those same situations, and I think the hard part is when he's at 169 yards, he's bedded and he's facing away, but you still are like, dang, I still want to keep my eyes on him. What if he's going to bed and just all of a sudden get up sure. and I get over there? Were you able to, as you as you could move closer, did you ever have a point where your eyes, you know, where you, where you couldn't see the bull, or could you always maintain contact with the bull? 
No, I, there was probably, you know, I went real slow uh, and took my time because I wanted to make sure I, I finished him. And there was a period of time, probably, you know, 10 minutes there where I couldn't see him. And, you know, it was nerve wracking. I knew he was hurting pretty good. Um, you know, the, the closer I got, I could actually hear him. Um, so I knew he was hit one lung at least. And, uh, you know, it was nerve wracking, but I figured if I just took my time and the way he was bedded and, you know, the amount of time that he'd spent just standing there, um, I figured if I just went real slow, was real methodical about it, that I could, I could finish the job, you know, so. And it's a beautiful bull, probably what, a 340 class yeah. bull? Yeah, he's about a 340 bull. Um, you know, to be honest, I haven't even, I haven't put a tape on him ever. I, <laughs> I, I just was real happy uh, to, to get him. And, yeah, he's he's probably about a 340 bull, I would say. Nice. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about gear. Uh, I hear you staying overnight in Vivian and, <laughs> and what have you. Just run run down briefly and kind of through your gear, and let's hear what you're using. Okay. Uh, so for bow, bow and arrow, I've been a, a gold tip arrow guy forever. I've always shot gold tip pro hunters. Um big big fan of those um broadheads i've i i know a lot of people like the the mechanical i'm more of a, a fixed blade fan and i've always shot slick trick broadheads um had really good luck with them um for bow i'm i'm a little bit different in that i'm shooting uh, i'm shooting a hoyt target bow which is a it's a hoyt pro edge elite which for me it fits me real good it's 35 inches axle to axle uh, it's got a seven inch brace it's got a, a shoot through riser which is kind of weird for some people to think about bow hunting and um, it didn't Im- impact me at all you know i was able to slide my broadhead right through it um i just love how that bow bow holds it just settles and i just just love that bow it just suits me and my you know the geometry of it just suits me real well so that's the bow i'm running um Backpack, I'm running a, a Kafaru um, duplex frame with, I think for that hunt, I was running a Timberline 1 pack. Um, Bivy, I'm a, I'm a Bivy guy. I just, I like Bivvies. Um, I like the fact that I can throw my sleeping bag inside it in, in my pack and I can just throw it out and be in bed in a few minutes. So I run Outdoor Research uh, Advanced Bivy, which is basically just a Gore-Tex sack. Um, for a sleeping bag, uh, I think I'm running a Marmot Helium, and I've had it for several years. I've had really good luck with it. Um, I know there's a lot of good bags out there, but that one just seems to work for me. It's a 15-degree bag, so never too cold, and it seems to work if I open it up even early season. I can I can still stay not, not too hot. But um, As far as camouflage, I'm running Sitka gear. Um, this year, especially for that hunt, I... I ended up buying a pair of their insulated, the Kelvin uh, light pant. <laughs> I love those things. Those are probably my favorite pieces of clothing this year. Just having an insulated pair of pants is awesome to, you know, if you're sitting early morning or evening glassing, just to throw those on and sit there uh, really kept me warm. And then also at night, if it got real cold, you could throw those on inside your bag. Um, I sleep cold, seems like, so I'm always layering up. But um, what else? Um Shoes. Shoes, yeah. I'm running Hanwag or Hanwag. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think it's the, uh, what is it, the Alaska GTX, I think. or I think that's the, the model I'm running, but I, I love those boots. I've had, I've had probably every pair of boot you can think of in the last 10 years, and these just seem to fit my, my foot the best. Um, so yeah, I'm, I have a bad right ankle just from playing basketball in high school, and, I uh, I got to have a mountain boot, so I'm running a, a stiff sole boot with a you know rubber rand and and thick leather. So yeah, that's awesome. That's about it. What what about um, optics and tripod spotting scope? Uh, what I, do you use there? Yeah, so I'm I'm running a it's a a carbon fiber tripod made by a company called Faisal. Um, it's real. It's really tall, which suits me. I'm about 6'2", so I like something that can, you know, get up and high enough that I can glass from it standing up if need be. This uh, is a tripod I haven't heard of. How do you spell it? F-I-S-O-L. Yeah, okay. Faisal. Yeah, they, uh, I was looking for a tripod. I did a lot of research on, on tripods. I was lo- looking for something that would, you know, go up real high for me. It's got a center post, and it's got two leg sections. Um 
And this one was the the uh, the lightest for the height and and then also the diameter of the legs because I was wanting something you know fairly sturdy. So it's what works for me. I've been running it for probably three years. I've I've been really really happy with it. So um, yeah, I run that carbon carbon fiber or what? What's the uh, make on it? Yep, carbon fiber. Okay. Yep. Um, so I've been running it. I run for optics, um, some 10 by 42, uh, Leica ultra vids. Um, <laughs> I've had those for probably, I think 14 years. The, the first year my wife and I were married, I convinced her to let me use my tax return on a pair of binoculars. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. I told her instead I told of her, that vacation she was dreaming about that she got a pair of Leica binoculars. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I told her, you know, it's a lifetime investment, and I'm I'm still running them, so I'm not totally wrong. But <laughs> good for you, good uh, for you. If it if it works, keep using them. Yeah, and I love them. They're good. They're good glass. Um. For a spotting scope, I'm just running a 65 uh, millimeter uh, Vortex Razor HD scope, and then I also this year purchased a pair of um, Swarovski SLC 15 by 56s. So I ran those. I didn't find that I used them a whole lot down there in Arizona, just because um, that terrain we were hunting was, you know, a burn, and those elk stuck out like sore thumbs. So a lot of the time, I was using the the larger field of view 10 by 42s, but I think yeah. come this year, you know, when I'm hunting deer, mule deer, or something like that, those 15s are going to come in handy. Yeah, those 15s are sure nice, clear and crisp, great great binoculars yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're amazing glass for sure. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on a great hunt and proving me wrong and yeah. coming down and shooting a great bull and, and quite honestly having a good experience and probably would have killed that 370 type bull that uh, – those other guys did. It yeah. just happened to be their day. And, you know, sometimes the sun shines on you and sometimes it shines on someone else. So it was yeah. nice that you were able to be happy for your fellow yeah. fellow hunter. Um, I want to jump over and talk about uh, Utah <laughs> and um, specifically uh, some of the I want you to kind of go through some of the what, quote unquote, the best units uh, for elk in Utah, uh, kind of a breakdown from habitat and uh, location and tag numbers and uh, quality of bulls and what have you, uh, if you could if you could go through uh, some of the top units. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I think probably for me the best units um, are probably, it's, it's those units, and you, and you could go back and do, you know, look at the research, but you're looking at those units that haven't seen, you know, major fluctuations of, of permit over the last, you know, 10 years or so. For me, I'm looking at units like the Beaver. Um, I think the Beaver. Hey, was, Trail. Yeah. Let me interrupt you here for just a second. Let's take a quick break okay. and uh, then I'll get right back into it. Guys, thanks for listening to episode 114. Be sure to tune into part two with Trail Kreitzer on episode 115.